Welcome to You in the Ring on CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria, 104.3 on cable and streaming live on the internet at cfuv.uvic.ca. My name is Brian and I'm here with co-host Colin and we're guest hosting today on You in the Ring to feature a spoken word and written word poetry debate hosted by the Malahat Review to celebrate National Poetry Month. Poet versus poet, spoken word takes on the printed page. The topic of the debate is spoken word and written word poetry are distinct genres. The event will be moderated by Yvonne Blomer and arguing for. On the debate side will be Kieran Regeer, and Jeremy Loveday, and arguing against will be Ian Higgins and Missy Peters. And you can get more information on this event from the Malahat Review's website at malahatreview.ca. And Colin. And our guests today are Yvonne Blomer, Ian Higgins, Jeremy Loveday, and Kieran Regeer. Now to our conversation with Yvonne Blomer. Yvonne completed her MA in creative writing at the University of East Anglia, and her work has won awards and been published internationally. Her first book, A Broken Mirror, Fallen Leaf, based on her experiences living in Japan, was shortlisted for the Gerald Lampert Memorial Award, and Landscapes and Home, Gazels, drawn from the memories of Zimbabwe and BC's coast, were published by Leaf Press in 2011. A Book of Places is forthcoming with Black Moss Press, as is Bicycle Brand Journey with Jack Pine Press this spring. Stolen Beauty is forthcoming with Palimpsest Press in 2014. And Yvonne wrote a cycling column for the Times columnist called Spoke and Word for four years and has had travel writing published in Canada, England, and Japan and is working on a travel memoir entitled The Long Way West, Cycling from Hanoi to Kuala Lumpur. Yvonne hosts the Planet Earth Poetry Reading Series Friday nights at Mocha House on Hillside and teaches in the English Department and Continuing Studies Department at Camosun College and is going to be moderating the Poet versus Poet debate. Welcome, Yvonne. Thank you. Can you tell us a bit about how the Poet versus Poet event came about? The idea originally came from John Barton, the editor at the Malahat. There's an artist called Signmark, and he is a deaf hip-hop artist who signs to low-frequency beats. And he has a translator who raps in English at his shows. And he was coming to Victoria. Now, I don't know if he actually did come, but that started the idea at the Malahat to maybe do something between spoken word and written word poetry to celebrate National Poetry Month and to bring those two communities together in Victoria. And there's going to be people speaking on both sides of the argument? So the argument is spoken word and written word poetry are distinct genres. So I guess the idea, and I don't want to give the evening away, but it's to discuss whether the debaters agree with that or not. And my job will be to make lots of jokes, I think. I've been listening to the debaters on CBC and trying to come up with good puns which my husband is really good at, so he's been helping. And I've been looking, sort of doing lots of searches online and noticed that universities cover courses for the written word, but not for the spoken word so much, though that's starting to change. And there's a growing list of blogs and books supporting spoken word poetry and poets interested in perfecting their craft, both of writing the poem and of performing it. So with the debate, well, there's going to be some back and forth. Yeah, there's going to be. So first, Kieran and Missy are going to read poetry and perform. Okay. So Kieran's a page poet, I guess, and Missy is a spoken word poet. So okay. they'll each perform. And then we'll have the for and against give their arguments and counter arguments. And then Ian and Jeremy will perform. And then I'm going to throw some surprise questions at them. <laughs> Trivia questions. 
both covering hopefully written word and spoken word, like, you know, how many lines are in a villanelle, that kind of thing. Now, one would think that the spoken word performance artists would have a leg up in a debate. Is that a fair comment? I mean, they're used to punching their weight, you might say, up on the stage. Yeah, uh, perhaps, especially if they've done a lot of slam, they have to be fast thinkers on their feet. But I think if everyone's prepared well, it should be a good evening. Ian is a teacher, professor at the University of Victoria, and Kieran's in the MA program here, MFA program. And they're teamed up, so a spoken and written word poet are teamed up against a spoken and written word poet. So they both have each other for support as well. Are there, are there time limits as far as There's the time the limits? Is so they have five minutes for their readings and three minutes for each for their opening statement, their rebuttal statement, and that kind of thing. You know, on the debaters, it's very chaotic and loud and kind of silly, but I have a feeling we'll be balanced somewhere between the silly and the serious. And the winners will be decided, much like on CBC, the debaters. It'll be audience applause. Is that's that, right. Is that the plan? Yeah, that's the plan. Audience applause. And I'm hoping I can give them points and take them away. He seems to do that a lot on the debaters. <laughs> well, that's the debate. But we wanted to, while you're on, get you talk a little bit about your writing and uh, your upcoming book. Would you like to talk about your travel memoir? Sure. So this spring, I've got two books coming out. And I'll talk about the Bicycle Brand Journey. It's a really exciting project. I've been working with Regan Rasmussen, who's an artist, and she's illustrated the poems in this collection, which are based on the bicycle brand playing cards. And each playing card has a poem on it and an illustration and then and the card that it is, so the two of hearts. And then the back of it looks like the back of a playing card. And it's published by Jack Pine Press, which is an unusual press in that it allows a poet and an artist to work together, create the book themselves in a limited edition, and then put it out. And the poems in there are based on the cycling trip that I will someday eventually finish writing a memoir about. So my husband and I cycled from Hanoi in southern Vietnam to Kuala Lumpur, about 4,000 kilometers over three months. Yeah. yeah. And so you wrote a diary while you were doing it? And I kept a journal while I traveled, which was great because I kept the basic details, where we were, how far we traveled every day lots of photographs. I had photocopy. All we had, we started that trip from Japan and there wasn't much internet. So it was about 10 years ago. So we took photocopied maps from the Lonely Planet and those were our maps that we cycled by. Then we had a, um, (laughs) in Thailand, we had a Thai atlas, all in Thai. And yeah, that was about it. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. Do you have something you'd like to read? Um, I have some poems coming back to the debate. I have a poem. So Sherry D. Wilson has put together a book called The Spoken Word Workbook. She has created a program at the Banff Center for Spoken Word Poetry, and so she got people who teach poetry and who teach spoken word to put together a book. So I thought I'd read a poem by Brian Brett, or part of the poem. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Now, Brian Brett, it's interesting, I would say is considered a page poet or a written word poet, but he's also a very good performer. So this is kind of where the debate's going to touch on is a spoken word poet also has to create the poem and likely uses the page to do that and then creates a way to perform it. And a written word poet has to write a poem, but also these days does readings and that kind of thing happen across Canada. So it'll be interesting to see 
how they debate that part of it, that those similarities, especially those who say, yes, they are distinct genres and this is how. So, but I don't mm-hmm. wanna I don't wanna get ahead of myself for the okay. debate. So this is by Brian Brett. What's the poem? It's the weirdo in his nightgown, trimming the wick of an old fashioned beeswax candle and lighting a joint with a blowtorch. It's the shy girl straightening her hair on the ironing board with an iron. It's the guy in the suit with a career plan. It erupts everywhere. It's standing on the stage, your feet slightly apart, your weight centered on your solar plexus, your chakra, your little pot belly, whatever in hell's name you want to call it, but it's centered. And the voice comes out of the gut, and it's a voice of power, rising, 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 quiet power, controlled and uncontrolled power, loud sometimes, though not often. Silence is much louder than a shout, and sound came before the song, the beat, the terrible beat of bones. And that's Brian Brett. Thanks very much, Yvonne. Thank you. That's Yvonne Blomer, and she's going to be moderating the debate tomorrow night. We've made the transition, and uh, joining us now in the studio is Ian Higgins. He's a writer, he's a translator, a critic, and a teacher. His books include Then Again, a book of poetry, The Invention of Poetry, which is a translation of the Polish poet Adam Szyrznowski's Selected Poems, The Book of John Mandeville, a translation of a fictional medieval travel book about the East, and Writing East, The Travels of Sir John Mandeville. That's an academic study. And our guest, Ian Higgins' poetry, has appeared in Best Canadian Poetry in English 2008 and Rock Salt, an anthology of contemporary BC poetry. And his creative nonfiction has appeared in Maisonneuve. He's currently finishing a new book of poems and working on a novel. He teaches in the English department and in the Medieval Studies program at UVic. And Ian, welcome to the program today. Thanks for having me. And are you ready for the debate tomorrow? As ready as one can ever be for something that's uh, live and impromptu. (laughs) Somehow debate and poetry don't uh, often appear in the same sentence together, is it? No, they don't. Although uh, once upon a time, uh, back in the 15th century, they did, in fact, have these poetic contests. They were a bit like rap slams or poetry slams now, and they involve you know, making a kind of poetic statement, but also uh, making an argument in poetry, and whoever uh, won got to be closer to the king. I like it. Is, is something like that bound to happen tomorrow night? Is that? That's right, yeah. Maybe maybe Stephen Harper or Christy Clark will invite us into their offices if we win. Ah, the truth about poetry. That's right, yeah. You're teaching in both the English and Medieval Studies departments. Any current projects there that relate to your poetry? Is that Not really, except that the medieval world inspires some of my modern work just because a lot of the boundaries we take for granted, including the one between the written and Uh, spoken really isn't part of that world. Uh, Medieval poets often refer to somebody hearing their writing. So they're thinking both about the page and the ear or about the eye and the mouth at the same time. So I think that inspires me more than anything. It's not so much themes, but just the fact that it's different possibilities, right? When you're only in the present, you can only see what the present offers you. When you go to the past, you can see that people imagine the world a little differently Mm -hmm. and it opens windows or doors that you didn't even know were there. So the subjects of your poetry tend to be? They tend to be generated by my life or by uh, what I hear on the radio or news, the same, same sort of thing, sometimes by my reading, the, the sort of thing that generates poems for anybody. 
When you're writing a poem, and I'm thinking about tomorrow night in the debate, because uh, you're up against performance poets or slam poets, when you write your poetry, you're conscious of it being read aloud? That- I am, actually, and I usually write in a couple of different ways, one of which involves you know, sitting down, sometimes with a computer, sometimes with a pencil and paper, but sometimes uh, going for walks or sometimes just pacing around the room, speaking aloud. It's not really something you want to do, although it's not so bad now because of cell phones and things like that people carry around. So we're more used to seeing people walking by themselves and talking to themselves, although it turns out they're not talking to themselves, they're talking to somebody else. So I think I pass for somebody who's wired with a cell phone or something like that. But no, I think about both the ear uh, and the eye, uh, and I go back and forth between them. And if uh, something might work for the eye and doesn't work for the ear, and then I have to decide, well, you know, do I like that? Uh, do I want to satisfy only one one sensory dimension, or do I want to try to find something that, that reaches more of them? Sure. Would you like to do a reading for us then? Sure. Uh, this is just a short little poem. It's called Home Rule, early 60s style. Anybody who was a kid back then or who's watched uh, 50s or 60s television might recognize this. The soup pot lid rattles out its bebop alula just as the kids clatter through the kitchen on their cloven hooves sing a song of saucepans, and run shrieking down the hall, hacking the fat air with cardboard machetes. The unicorn's been sighted again, father's vain bulged voice bellowing, quiet or I'll tan your little asses, crashes into their uproar like a freight train into a damned if I don't get their first Saturday matinee showdown hot rod, bam, scattering the whole shebang. Mother collects the sniveling, dad damaged debris, puts her pin monies on the dead unicorn's eyes. Ask me no questions, I'll tell you no lies. Time now for somersaults and sausages. Thank you. You're welcome. That's, that's performance poetry. That, that, I'm not sure which side. I, you know, I, know you're, I think you're debating uh, tomorrow night. I'm debating on the written side. Uh, the written cause, side. Because I'm, I'm the old guy. I'm supposed to look like a piece of old parchment <laughs> with writing on it <laughs> against those young people. So. But I thought uh, since I'm on the side of writing, um, I, should, I should sound like reading uh, performance. Does some of this come into your courses that you teach at UWIT? I guess at an angle, yeah. I mean, I don't teach my own work, but I guess one of the things I try to do when I teach is also to be enthusiastic about what we're reading as anyone would be and to try to think about it not only as a reader, but as a writer and to uh, talk in those terms. And I suppose, you know, whenever you put a written text in front of me, even sometimes if it's a newspaper, I get excited. So I, I imagine it must, uh, must pass into the classroom. Students would be able to tell you that better than I would. Now, you made a comment, and this goes to your academic side, about once upon a time in medieval times, poetry was a very central form, I guess, of entertainment, communication, political commentary, what have you. How do you look at the place of poetry now in today's world, and how can we, I don't know, maybe get it more front and center? Yeah, that's a good question, and it's not an easy one to answer. I think Leonard Cohen has answered it in one way, which is you put it together with a guitar. And, you know, in a sense, pop music has answered that, right? That's really probably where... Poetry has the biggest impact in our culture when it's put together with a band in some form. I think spoken word poetry is an attempt to do that. But I, th- I think there's a place for what you might call written word poetry, because there's also a place for quietness, for thought, mm. for pulling back from the crowd. I mean, uh, being in the mosh pit <laughs> creates one kind of atmosphere. 
being in a quiet place creates another. Both of them are experiences that I think are good to have, and both of them are experiences that I think can come back into play. The thing that I think offers really interesting challenges for poetry now is just the whole sort of digital world of, of mashups and online stuff and so on. And in a sense, probably the future of poetry is going to be multimedia, multimodal, rather than just this written word thing. But there still is a place for that. Although the more influential stuff, I think, is probably going to be found maybe on YouTube or maybe we could set up a poetry channel, you know, Poetry Tube or something like that. Satellite poetry. Satellite poetry. It sounds good. Can we find Ian Higgins on YouTube yet? Uh, no, not yet. Not unless my students have surreptitiously <laughs> been videotaping me and, and putting me up there to mock me. <laughs> have you got another reading? Did you write another I one do. I'd love to hear it. This is actually one that I might read tomorrow night. It, it's um, a poem that's both uh, spoken word and written in the sense that it's meant for the ear, but it has footnotes, and you, so you can't read it all at one go. Uh, the spoken word part of it is based on a nursery rhyme, and it's part of a series of poems about growing up and the kinds of things that you encounter when you're growing up. And uh, this one is called uh, Milk Sops, and it has a little sort of uh, epigraph at the beginning from Ogden Nash, the nonsense poet, called The Cow, and, and that uh, begins, The cow is of the bovine ilk, one end is moo, the other milk. So this is about uh, being a little kid in the early 60s when I was a little kid. To be babes in bliss was not our lot. Bottled formula was all we got. We suckled on rubber and not our mothers, who firmly declined the role of udders. First from powder, then from the carton, which soon provoked much burpin' and fartin'. The milk we drank was factory stuff, and yet none of us could get enough. We slurped and burped and shot up like weeds, imbibing the hormones that served the needs of our hungry flesh. And yes, we were happy, for we never considered such a setup crappy, but took for granted an order of things made of plastic food and play on the swings. Our lives back then were of the bovine ilk, and not one of us knew of organic soy milk. <laughs> Thank so, you. So that's the poem part. Uh, yeah. I could read you a footnote. Well, yes, please. Because uh, the footnotes are the written word part of it. So um, I have a footnote on powder, for example. So powder, like the machine gun and the ready-made cigarette, both crucial to the 20th century, powdered formula is a 19th century invention, the work of one Henri, born Heinrich Nestle. Concerned about infant mortality, especially amongst orphans, the former pharmacist's assistant came up with a mix of cow's milk, wheat flour, and sugar that could be reconstituted with water. This farine lactée Henri Nestlé, as it was called for sale, in the 1860s helped found what is now, after mergers and acquisitions, the world's largest food and beverage empire, Nestlé S.A., in Vevey, Switzerland. Nestle himself, though, got out in 1874 to devote himself to local good works, unaware that his offspring would go on to mega sales of, amongst other things, formula, chocolates, candies, instant coffees and teas, ice cream, and pet food. That's the footnote. You can see it's a, at an angle to the poem, and in a sense, the part of the game here is that the poem is very much concentrated in a kind of lyric moment and intensity of, of emotional expression. And then the footnote sort of puts in the social and the political context and says, okay, you know, what is bottled milk all about? It's about a much larger sort of thing. So I don't really want to spoil the fun. So the footnotes are also comic, but uh, nevertheless, it's sort of saying, okay, the fun takes place in this much more complicated cosmos than just that emotional moment. Thank you. That's Ian Higgins and Ian will be arguing Against. Against the idea that, yes, written and spoken word are different genres. Tomorrow night at the Poet vs. Poet event.
And we've got Jeremy Loveday in the studio with us. Uh, Jeremy Loveday is Victoria's 2010 Individual Slam Champion and a two-time member of the Victoria Poetry Slam Team. Jeremy has captivated a diverse array of audiences across Canada and beyond with his personal and impassioned performances. His poetry is raw, rhythmic, and ready to capture your attention. Performance highlights include the Canadian Festival of Spoken Word in 2010, Vancouver International Poetry Festival in 2011, and the Victoria Spoken Word Festival in 2011 as well. Jeremy currently serves as the Youth Outreach Coordinator for Tongues of Fire, Victoria's Spoken Word Poetry Collective, and in this role he organizes and facilitates high school poetry workshops, bringing local performance poets together to introduce the art of spoken word to high school students. In 2010, he hosted Victoria's High School Slam Championships, which led him to become a co-organizer of the event for 2011. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about 2012 as well, if, if we can, Jeremy. But uh, first, can we get a little background in your, your writing and performing? Well, I, you summed it up pretty good there. I've been writing for a long time since uh, basically I got my start in high school, but then I started performing and getting more into the spoken word side of things when I was in university in Montreal a few years back. I've been doing spoken word consistently since I moved back to Victoria in 2007. You know, you, you listed some of the highlights there. Right now, I guess a big thing that I'm involved with is, is yeah, the youth poetry. So I uh, just organized Victorious Voices, which is Victoria's High School Poetry Slam Championships. Uh, we had 350 people come out over two days and just an amazing display of talent and impassioned and empowered youth voices and it. That yeah, really bodes well for the future if these are the kids we're uh, handing things yeah. off to. That was the, the championships, uh, an event. You do workshops. Yeah, yeah. so go into high schools, do uh, performance and writing workshops, and that's, that's pretty consistent. And the championships is one of the things that that builds to, but also we're just, really, we're trying to make poetry cool again. Sure. Do schools sign up with you? How do uh, yeah, people so get involved? Yeah, basically, at this point, I've got connections in most of the high schools, and they have us come in every year, and it's trying to, yeah, just trying to get kids hooked and make poetry as accessible and exciting. When I was in high school, I had a teacher who was able to do that for me, and I felt really lucky, but there was no place to share that work once it was written and no place to really explore it outside of the classroom, and so that's sort of the main my main project, but we just wrapped that up so I actually get to do my own writing again. Okay, get back to it. <laughs> yeah. Would you like to talk a little bit about Tongues of Fire and some of the things you do there? Yeah, Tongues of Fire, it's a twice-monthly open mic, so we're on the second and fourth Thursday at Solstice Cafe. It's an open mic and a feature performer, so we have a feature performer come in usually from out of town, but they're always national caliber spoken word artists, usually that we've met at festivals and whatnot, and then we get to bring them in and show them our community, and it's a really safe space for people to come and share their words, whether they've been uh, performed or they've never been before in front of a mic or behind a mic. Sure. Yeah, so yeah. it's a really beautiful community, and when I moved back to Victoria, it's really what let me get my start was seeing it and being like, I can do this. I can be a part of this and really connect with nice. those people. Okay. Would you like to do a reading for us or a, or a performance? Sure. So this poem is called The Evolution of Love. And I actually just worked with filmmaker Elliot Hart to make a video poem for it. There is water in her hummingbird chest. Rhythm in the moon's molten breast. I am gravity. Wholesome, God's floating apple, your bioluminescent drips from paddles at midnight. Come to me naked, 
out of the moonlit waters and show me that there's nothing shameful about shivering Pacific with the glory of your bird mouth lit by the words you're yet to say. Say nothing, for I've heard it all in your laughter, and yours is a silence that I don't want to come between. So please, don't judge me by my worst moments, or even ask me what they were. Just know that I'm going to overcome them, and when I do, with mosquito wings and no taste for blood, I will come to you with a buzzsaw in my throat and ask you to sing with me. For I know that these moments of chest-pounding tranquility, these brief moments of still not understanding the meaning of life, but being the meaning of a life I know, that they are fleeting, heartbreakingly fleeting, forgivingly fleeting. And I don't know much about healing, but I do know that we all deserve it, and that hard as it is, trading bad habits for gratitude is worth it. So come, let me warm you. I will strip my clothes to the sand to join you, bury your toes in memories, blanket your godful awe with my body, we will hold each other like the moon holds the ocean, rock into the rhythm of our organs that pound out ever more slowly, our hearts flapping, crustaceans, kelp and starfish falling from our outstretched arms, humerus, metacarpals and numbered digits molding of our bones is transformation of love into flight, trading atoms with the wind, the song of the sun at night, it is a same brain chemical that teaches an insect to flap its wings that keeps a human heart pumping. And it is your hummingbird chest that reminds me to breathe. So when we wake to the joy of the sun, say nothing, for I trust that you hold this in your laugh lines and remember it as a perfect stage in your evolution. Thank you. Wow. The only problem with doing poetry on air like that is after it's done, you don't want to say anything. But you know, you don't you don't want dead air anyways. And if uh, part of the performance slam poetry is seeing the person, which of course you can't do, but you'll see some of that tomorrow night. So just on that subject, so you did a video of this piece that you just done, or yeah, it's with a filmmaker, and she interpreted it, and sort of I gave her complete control of the video side of things. I figure she's the expert in that and I'm the expert in the spoken word. And so it's just getting shopped around right now to different film festivals. Yes, yeah, so we're we're hoping to get that out in some there's actually some video poem film festivals which I okay. I'm just learning about, but also just as a short film. So yeah, we've got Ingrid Gatton who's a piano player from I don't actually know where she's from, the prairies I believe, but she plays the piano and perform over that. Okay, so pull together various artists into the video. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did you do a, sort of the, your, your individual piece and then they do some yeah, actually, uh, behind it, that? Actually, like or? I recorded it and then the piano was added afterwards. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of performance heavy improvised piano, but it's very, very subtle and very beautiful, almost haunting. I want to just go back for a minute to when you go into the high schools. Do you find the high school students, when they think of poetry, they think of slam type poetry or do they also get as interested in the traditional printed poetry uh, or page poetry the, from the past. Are they both an attraction for them? I, they're definitely connected. I mean, I, I see that there's some kids who already like poetry, and then they see the slam poetry, and a lot of times it blows their mind. And then there's other kids who are like, oh, poetry's so lame. And then we come in, and like I've got a poem where I beatbox, and so I'll use that one to really open them, like, okay, 
what's this guy doing? Uh, that's not poetry. And then, yes, it is. <laughs> and then maybe, you know, after that, they start reading other poetry. So. Yeah. Would you like to do another one for us? Sure. Can I stand up? Yeah, last time it actually threw me off a little bit, being in a seated position. July 2011. The headline reads, Canada coming home. Soldiers. Boarding planes in Kandahar. Next stop, Ontario. Our country has been at war for my whole adult life. I've never seen a bomb, a machine gun. I have made no sacrifice. Yet in my name, in our name, we've brought another decade of war to children who have known little else. And this is in the name of peace, freedom, justice, women's rights. This is in the name of Canada. So when I read Canada coming home, I wonder, <laughs> what is it that we are returning to? <laughs> Hockey riots? Security cameras, robocalls, G20 police violence, silence of the lamb, masses, war is a distant, disassociated fact. Relax, kid. Got everything that you need. Barely even left our homes, didn't even watch the war on TV. So our image of Canada remains. Rocky Mountain beauty, World War victory, peacekeeper friendly, prairie huge hearts held together by multiculturalism and protected by the Canadian shield, the myth of our identity. But what is this peace we wield against our enemies? And now Canada's coming home. But there are no victory parades, no confetti-filled streets, just a lost sense of how great we can be. And one cannot lead without first studying the map of their own skin. And ours is a cartography of forgetting, a landscape of denial laid over with images of such natural grandeur that we are eager for them to define us, but we cannot name ourselves into mountains. We cannot name ourselves into mountains. We cannot name ourselves into mountains, so we must remember the original sins of this country, Canada's violent creation myths, and we must stop these wars of distraction so that Canada, so that we can no longer be from a country with so much land, but always with the need to come home. Thank you. Thank you. That's Jeremy Loveday, and Jeremy's going to be arguing on the four side for the argument, spoken word and written word poetry are distinct genres. Thank you very much.